Good evening, Facebook. Welcome to the eighth episode of Step Back. That's right, eight. Here with us, my main man, Jacob Moses, and this time we have our face, this time our Chicago friend has a face, Felipe Mauricio. Hey, hey, how's it going, guys? Good, right. how are you feeling? Uh, I'm doing swell. Uh, we're just counting down the weeks now and soon the days before the baby's born, and uh, it's uh, all coming together, so that's uh, we're on standby right now. But uh, thanks for having me on, by the way. I want to make sure I, I, I show my gratitude to you guys for having me absolutely, on. Absolutely, absolutely. We always like having you on. Especially this, <laughs> this is special right here, man. Oh, yeah. Baby on the way. Got the last dance. We got the, my last dance here. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> counting, counting them down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bless, uh, a little bit over a month to go if, uh, if everything works out right, so. Man, so... You know, the last time we had you, it was around the All-Star break. Uh, it was in Chicago. We went over some All-Star picks. Uh, we uh, talked it up a bit, talked about Jordan, talked about uh, some past events. Now we have delved ourselves into this ESPN documentary. Uh-huh. Last two episodes, uh, introductory, introduced Pippen, introduced the Dream Team, 63 from Jordan, got a 10-part series coming up. Who better than the guy from Chicago? That's pretty amazing how that song still resonates to this day. They still use that. It's kind of in an ironic way, but it's they still use that song for the introductions. They don't deserve it, but... Um, nah. <laughs> that, that uh, NBA on NBC music is, is just, you know, phenomenal. You get the, you know, <laughs> the Sonics, the, the jazz, mm-hmm. all of that. It brought back some memories. Yeah. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, what was that? That means we're getting old. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, this was a right. I mean, if you, if you grew up in Chicago and around the 90s, this, this was like a rite of passage. This was a rite of spring, if anything. Uh, every summer, we just expected this to happen. Every single summer, just you know, championship rally, Grand Park by the by the Lake Shore up in the, mm-hmm. by Lake Michigan, in beautiful downtown Chicago. We just expected it every single year, and then one day, pff, gone, just like that, and it's not been the same. Luckily, we you know we had some championship teams over the years. We had the Blackhawks, the Cubs, the White Sox. Um, but the, the Bulls never got back into it, and they've, what, 2011 was the closest they ever came with Derrick Rose, and mm-hmm. Ron James got in the way of that dream, so forget about that. <laughs> but no, that's the one thing I absolutely love about this documentary. I don't know if people have been calling me a hater or whatever, but um, for some of the things, um, I think it's too Pollyannish for my taste, but the one thing I do love is the nostalgic factor. As it brought back a lot of good memories for me as a child, uh, uh, just watching this documentary and uh, the other thing I love about this documentary, it, it's airing at a time where there's nothing else going on, right? right. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And it has become this uh, worldwide phenomenon. Uh, and it, just like it was in the 90s, the Bulls were a worldwide phenomenon. I mean, it, uh, Leon just mentioned it. Introductory, it, it starts with them playing in Paris. Yeah. I mean, 
and it's true. Everything that they mentioned that how international this team was, mm-hmm. absolutely true. I mean, and you saw David Stern out there who was, you could say he was a catalyst to all that, to making sure that this sport would go all around the world. And rest in peace to David Stern. I, you know, we, we miss him, but mm-hmm. he was a catalyst. And with him and Jordan, this is the league that we got now because of that. Uh, because of that, yeah. Absolutely. So it starts out with the, the team in Paris. It also starts out with him in high, getting cut from his high school team. <laughs> I, how much of that do you really want to believe? I, I guess it's true. <laughs> I, I think that part is true. Yeah, that part is true. Um, there was uh, also other things that came about that his coach, once he got to the varsity team, there's some things that came out recently this past week where the coach actually fabricated some statistics to make him look even better than he really was in high school, just so he can get some more uh, NCAA attention to come to Wilmington, North Carolina. So, um, so yeah, but that's expected, right? I mean, you want to, you want your kid to, uh, you want your player to get the attention of the big hounds out in college basketball or even college football, whatever you do a little bit of a, uh, uh, fabrication. You do a little bit of uh, fibbing, if you will. <laughs> Suddenly, twenty-five points become thirty-five points. I don't know where those extra ten points came from, but like, who's not doing it now, anyway, right? <laughs> yeah, it, you know, it's like you know, Jacob would appreciate this, but it's it's like wrestling. You know, uh-huh. it, you're building up tomorrow's superstars by by having them beat up these veteran uh, scrubs. Yes. <laughs> Everything is wrestling. So, but uh, it worked. I mean, it worked for him because he got the attention. He went to North Carolina, and the rest is history. That's it. I mean, he beat on Ewing early. Beat on Ewing late. Oh God! Here we go. <laughs> beat on Ewing early, late, and often. <laughs> and, oh, it, it never, it never stopped. Oh, and, beat him into submission. Some- and somebody brought it up earlier this past week saying that, and it's funny that uh, Patrick Ewing now wears a little Jumpman uh, logo at, mm-hmm. over at Georgetown because it, Georgetown is a Jordan brand school, I'm assuming, right? Yeah. So that's pretty funny that even to this day, Ewing has to be reminded of the guy who prevented him from winning championships. So, yeah. But uh, no, I feel bad for Patrick Ewing, but them's the bricks, unfortunately. No, you don't. No, you're right. I don't. <laughs> you're smiling. You're happy as shit when every time you beat the Knicks ass. You, yeah, got the motherfuckers again. Yeah, that, pretty much. I mean, it was expected. Just like I said, it was expected. We expected to go have a championship rally every mm-hmm. summer, and we expected to beat the crap out of the Knicks uh, every playoff. I mean, it was going to be a rough fight, but we were always going to win. Yeah. So, yeah. And uh, that's with everybody in that in that conference: the Pacers, the Heat, mm-hmm. the Hornets. The Hornets were going to give us some trouble, but hey, we're going to win in the end because we have Michael Scotty and all those other guys. Mm-hmm. Now, all know who was going to take over. Mm-hmm. That the eighty the, the draft where Portland doesn't take him, he goes to Chicago. Mm-hmm. Now we know the rest is history. Was there anything in the beginning that you didn't know? Uh, from from the before the documentary, uh, before the documentary. Uh, about the uh, about the draft itself or right or or anything early on. Uh, well, it's 
really hard to say because you know I, I I read a lot. I mean, you guys see me share books. You guys see right. me look at numbers. I always try to be as as well informed as I can. Uh, the documentary, as I was complaining throughout the whole night, was not teaching me anything I did not know. Um, if there was something I, I did not know that the documentary showed me, it's pretty like minute as far as I'm concerned. Um, but I knew that that the Blazers were not looking at Jordan because they already had Clyde Drexler. Uh, I guess I didn't know that Rod Thorne, who would be the future NBA deputy commissioner or something like that uh, in, in his uh, future self, I did not know that Rod Thorne would have picked Hakeem Olajuwon over Michael Jordan, but he says that everybody would have picked the center back in the 80s, which I guess kind of makes sense, and I guess that's the reason why Sam Bowie went number two. Um, mm-hmm. But no, other than that, uh, the other thing I, I was kind of shocked to hear was usually James Worthy. I forgot, did they interview James Worthy in this one? I, I didn't see it. Mm, I don't think so. I'm trying to think. Hold on. Well, at any rate, uh, my, my thing was with uh, usually when they interview anybody from that North Carolina team about, they ask him, uh, James Worthy is a famous one. They ask James Worthy, how does it feel to be Michael Jordan's teammate? And James Worthy usually answers, uh, excuse you, I was the upperclassman. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm not his teammate. He's my teammate. You know, seniority <laughs> rules here, you know, so don't don't sell me short here, you know. So, but it seemed like that story wasn't brought up because, you know, Jordan Green lit this whole thing. And they, they always said that this documentary does not happen unless your Jordan says, gives people the green light to do it. Because that means Jordan gets to control the narrative and mm-hmm. control the, the, the image, the brand imagery, the, uh, his uh, everything about it, the Jordan brand, everything. It's, he's in control of that. Yeah. So, yeah, just like, uh, you know, First road trip, he goes in the hotel room, sees all these mm-hmm. parties. I don't get involved, not me. I just walk right out. <laughs> you ain't got is, to lie. He's <laughs> so full of shit, but th- there's no way. There's no way. I mean, you see him now. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, okay, let's give him some benefit of the doubt. Maybe, just maybe. As a wide-eyed uh, college kid coming into the NBA, coming into a big city from the country, maybe I believe him. Uh, you know, suggesting that I was oh, well, I wasn't touching that stuff. I, I was a good boy. I, I called my mama every day. You know, so <laughs> maybe I believe that. Maybe. Uh, I, I don't know, man. I don't like to drive snitching, man. Where <laughs> he just all the other guys did it, but me? No, no, I, I, hold on, I know some names here. Let, let, me, let me count them out for you. I mean, I, I've been calling him Hulk Hogan this whole week because if he's pretty much throwing every single teammate of his under the bus. Mm-hmm. Everybody, oh, well, well George is the ultimate team player. Yeah, look at him throwing all of his teammates under the bus. <laughs> well, Scotty, well, we were, we, we were upset as a team. We were upset as Scotty for taking the knee, the knee surgery when he did. He should have done it earlier in the summer, not wait until <laughs> the season was about to start. <laughs> And then what happened? Steve Kerr's like, well, we didn't have a problem with that. Scotty could be Scotty, man. That's Scotty Pippen. He mm-hmm. can do whatever he wants. Well, we'd have questioned his decision. It's his body, his right. And meanwhile, mm-hmm. Jordan just doing the whole Hulk Hogan thing. Like, hey, listen, brother, uh, Jesse's trying to start a union to Vince McMahon. It's the exact same thing. Listen, Jordan in this documentary is basically Hulk Hogan in the Ric Flair documentary. I mean, <laughs> I, I cannot differentiate between the two. The tall tales, the, 
always got to put himself over over everybody else. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, they, they deserve each other. Um, how much credit do you give Jerry Krause? It's, 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 it should be a lot. I mean, first of all, like, when they mentioned the whole thing about organization winning championships, when I remember I was a kid listening to that quote, I, I heard both, you know, both quotes, you know, the, the one that was kind of uh, uh, fragmented for television purposes and, and mm-hmm. soundbite purposes, which fanned the flames to the controversy that we see now. And I also heard the long term. I read the newspaper back in the day. And, and he made it pretty damn clear that, hey, organizations will win championships. It starts from the top. It goes to the front office, the coaches, the the health staff, the medical staff, the equipment staff, all the way down to the players. It is from a top to bottom, bottom to top type of ordeal. To me, it made sense. I mean, no man is an island here. This is basketball. It's a team sport. It's true. And then they got blown out of proportion because everybody's like, oh, well, there goes Jerry Cross once again, just uh, trying to split the team apart. But mm-hmm. th- there is some truth to that because the players come and go, but – who stays long after everybody's gone? The owner stays. I mean, you as a Nick fan, Jacob, know that fucking everybody leaves except for what's his face, James Dolan, Dolan the worst Dolan. owner in all of sports. Yeah, he stays. No, no, no. I'm gonna say this for another date, but it ain't him. <laughs> I'll tell you. Who is worse than James Dolan? I want to know. Minnesota's freaking owner. Oh, if, if, if my bad. Kevin Garnett does not want to get your his jersey retired from the team that he spent the most time, done the most work with. He said, no, I don't want my jersey retired by them because of him, the owner. Yeah, he makes Dolan look really good. All right, all right. I'll, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. Uh, I'll give you that one. But uh, to go, I'm so sorry. To, I, got, I got sidetracked. But to answer your question, uh, he gets a lot of credit. Obviously, the players have to go out and play, right? And right. coaches mm-hmm. have to coach. And, but the, the, the ancillary staff has to be there, make sure that these guys have the right equipment, have the right body, have the right mind. Make sure that everybody's taped up. I mean, you saw Jordan standing over Tony Kukoc, just kind of waiting for what's his name? Uh, the, I think it was Chip Schaefer, the medical doctor. If it wasn't him, it was some other other person from the staff, just kind of waiting. Hey, when's it gonna be my turn? I got I, I'm the I'm the guy here. Why is Tony hogging <laughs> up the whole thing? But you know, everybody's important. So if Jordan gets about what? I mean, how many? I mean, what seventy five percent? Just from the whole team. If the players get 75%, then Jerry Crusher at least get 25% for putting the whole thing together. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, like I said, you still got to play to win the game. Like Herm Edwards used to say, you play to win the game. But <laughs> there's, we saw what happened when Jordan did not have the players that before Jerry Cross came in. Mm-hmm. Saw how, I mean, you were going to mention, was it before we started that you guys mentioned, or was it right now, you guys mentioned the 63 points for the Celtics? Yeah. 63 points wasn't enough to beat a Boston Celtics team, I, no matter how good they are. Well, the one difference is their team is stacked. Yeah, they, they were stacked. Third, Mikhail, Parrish, Ainge. You can go down the line. Dennis, uh, was it uh, Vinny Johnson or Dennis Johnson? No, Dennis Johnson. No. Yeah, yeah, no, Dennis Johnson. Dennis Johnson. And Vinny was with the Detroit Pistons, right? Yeah. Vinny, Vinny Johnson. I always get them mixed up because they kind of sound the same. But listen, yeah, you need a team. You need to build a team, and it starts from the top, and it trickles all the way to the bottom. Everybody has to be on the same page. Uh, it's an organizational thing. I mean, players do matter, but they don't, they, they don't do it on their own. It's a team sport. But. Right. So, and so Johnny makes a, a pretty good point, saying that the owner ran a team behind the closed doors, and GM was just a scapegoat. I mean, Jerry Reinsdorf, from my history, uh, just from – 
being around him uh, here in the city, he lets his people do their work. He's loyal to a fault, and he hires people. Remember, he's not even the real owner. He's just the guy in charge of a, of a boardroom. Like he's the, they call him the chairman because he's the main guy uh, of, all, of a group of investors. He has to answer to them. But all in all, if White Sox fans know that Jerry Reinsdorf just kind of lets everybody just do their work. He lets Kenny Williams do his work for the White Sox, and then he gave over to uh, Rick Hahn, uh, who's the current general manager for the White Sox, just like he let uh, John Paxson run that ship for a long time before he ceded to Gar Foreman. And now you see the total mess that we're in right now because Jerry <laughs> took this long to, uh, to realize. Yeah. So Reinsdorf is good at, at pointing at the right direction. What, how you get to that direction, he lets you do, go on your own, and, and he'll give you plenty of chances to prove yourself that you, you can get there. Um, what should we call it? To uh, get to that uh, point. When he sees that you're not getting there, then that's when he intervenes. But remember, this guy's loyal to a fault, so he'll give you plenty of chances for you to redeem yourself. And I think that's what happened. I mean, you saw in the documentary how even killed he was towards everybody. He wasn't taking any sides. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he defended Jerry Cross when no one else wanted to defend him because that's his friend. That He's, yep. like I said, loyal to a fault. So I think he let Jerry Cross do whatever he wanted. And when Jerry Cross said, I want to rebuild this team before it's too late, um, at, they looked at the numbers, they looked at the money, they looked at the, uh, at the projections, and they realized, all right, if, that's what, if you think that's what's best, but let's make sure we take care of some of these guys. And, uh, I mean, you guys saw what happened afterwards uh, when, the, when, the, when the team got broken up, which uh, we could talk about that a little later. But all in all, um, to answer Johnny's question, I, don't, I mean, Reinsdorf, yeah, he does have a say, but for the most part, he just let Jerry Cross do whatever he wants. And which brings up the multitude of roster moves made uh, after Jordan uh, announced his arrival. Uh, Charles Oakley being forced on the team, <laughs> protecting uh, him from the bad boy Pistons, finally make a move for Bill Cartwright. Uh, mm-hmm. Later on, they draft Pippen. They make some more moves, get Tony Kukoc. So, Harris yes. Grant. I see Harris Grant. BJ Armstrong. Oh, stop it, John Paxson. So Jordan is a generational talent, but apparently he, he needs some help. Absolutely. It's like at the team sport or something, right? Shocking. Teammates, teammates matter. I mean, I mean, listen, guys, the Celtics, the, the, the Lakers. I mean, look at Charles Barkley when he was at the 76ers. After a while, he's like, yo, get me out of here. He begged them to trade him away, and he got traded to the Suns, uh, the Phoenix Suns, where he was uh, – Became uh, where he he changed that team from uh, a con- a Western Conference uh, darling to a, an actual NBA contender for a couple of years, and then when that ship had sailed, when their championship window went down, he said nuts to this, and he became a free agent, signed up with the Rockets to team up with Pippen and Olajuwon and and Clyde Drexler. Mm-hmm. So don't don't tell me these players like in the 80s and 90s would have uh, not joined forces. Charles Barkley is a fitting example that when he saw that door, he took it, and that's the first part where he, I don't care. Listen. Charles Barkley was already old and over the hill, so he was just ring chasing. No, screw that. It was an old man's league back in the day. Charles Barkley is average age at that time with the rest of those NBA players. So the fact that he goes to the Rockets to join that super team, we know what, what Barkley was doing. 
<laughs> he wanted to win that championship, and that was the best because he was still starting. Yeah, yeah. So don't like people want to defend like oh well the eighties and nineties players they would have never had done that. No, no, that's not true. They, they all want to. They all play to win the game. Everybody's getting paid well. You know, everybody's getting paid well, and they all you know they won't want that ring because number one. It, it solidifies your legacy. Number two, if all the things fail, they can sell it. They can sell it on the black market or on, on eBay when they need extra money. We've seen broke. So <laughs> it, it's, it's everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Jordan takes over as a face of the league, takes over yep. from Magic, takes over from Larry Bird. Yep. He is a generational talent, but apparently Pippen is the one who puts him over the edge. How important is that second fiddle to the star? Oh, man. Well, for, first of all, I mean, you, we, we saw teams how they were built back then. Uh, if anything, from that documentary, you will see how, how much different teams are built compared to how they're built now. Mm-hmm. Every team, if you look at that Eastern Conference in the 80s and 90s, every single team had a primary score and a bunch of role players. If you look at the Knicks, they had Patrick Ewing and a bunch of role players. Pacers. Mm-hmm. Reggie Miller was the primary scorer and a bunch of role players. Except for Rick Smith. <laughs> this guy. Well, still a big man. They had their big man. Everybody had their big man. You know who didn't have a really good big man, though? Mm-hmm. The Chicago Bulls. That's true. Luke Longley was, he wasn't great, but he just, he clogged up space, I guess. Like, some, to go back to Jerry Reinsdorf, Jerry, I kind of tell my buddy Matt Bushnell all the time that, hey, if you really think about it, Matt Bush, I'm in my bedroom. If you really think about it, Jerry Reinsdorf, Mm-hmm. He's the very first, uh, you know, he, he's a lot of things, but something that he doesn't get credit for is for being very analytical. Mm-hmm. You know, every, all the crazes about the analytics, analytics. To use a White Sox example, he was one of the first uh, uh, owners that would say, to pay uh, a starting pitcher and give him all those years for all that money, that's, that's ludicrous. That's stupid because they break down so easily. Now what do you see? Now you see teams very hesitant to pay these big – I mean, you still see it, right? But they're very hesitant to do that, uh, to, uh, to sign a, a young arm to a long-term deal. Uh, Jerry was a proponent of that. Uh, also, Jerry made sure that – well, not just Jerry Reinsdorf, but Jerry Cross also made sure we might not have the best elite centers like the Spurs. And I mean, we just saw David you, – Leon, you posted that thing about David Robinson scoring yeah. 71 points. Uh, uh, Johnny Shaq, he had Shaq on his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, even the Lakers had Alvin Campbell, for God's sake. The Bulls, we, we, it was like, we don't need one guy to average 20 points and 10 rebounds. We just need three or four of those guys to kind of come close to that. So we always, <laughs> so I'm serious, we always had a three-headed monster at center. That's uh, true. The, yeah, so. Uh, Bill Wennington. Uh, Wennington, Bill, Wennington yep. uh, Bill Cartwright, Will Perdue, Luke Longley. So, Jordan wait, made what, $33 million, uh, for what, four or five years? Okay, so um, I believe if I if my memory serves me right, uh, the second year after he came back from retirement, uh, so they, they, it was a seventy-two win team, and then they beat the Jazz the first time around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he was making thirty-three million for one year, and then to come back for for what they for this documentary uh, uh, timeline, the last dance aspect of things, he was making thirty-six million. So it was just one-year deals that he was signing up for. And as Bulls fans, we were kind of always worried. Like, oh, man, we were like, what, maybe 35% worried that this might be the – he might retire again, you know? 
but because he never signed long term deals, it was just one year, one year, one year. So, mm-hmm. so, which brings me to my point: if they, had, if Pippen doesn't sign that team friendly deal, do you think they break <laughs> up sooner? Man, that's a tough one. Probably because of the salary cap ramifications. I mean, you were already paying Michael Jordan over $30 million a year. And you're going to pay this other guy, what, another 18, 20? I mean, shit. He made 82 million total on a five year contract. What does that average out to? My math is terrible here. But uh, what, 15, oh, 16, so 20 common. million almost? What's that? Don't worry. So is Commons math. <laughs> <laughs> but at any rate, yeah, you're going to have to pay Scottie Pippen that superstar money. Listen, man, I, I want to just say this. <laughs> this was going on. I, I was very aware of this. And, and, and something that was conveniently left off this documentary was the fact that I remember them talking about it during the 90s uh, on sports radio. And one of the things that they always talked about was even if Pippen wanted to restructure that deal, guess what? The current collective bargaining agreement did not allow to restructure contracts. This is not the NFL. You sign that contract, you got to go through fruition. You got to go to the term. So I kind of I kind of find it funny that Reinsdorf's like that the reputation that Reinsdorf has is that hey once you sign that contract that's it I don't want to hear from, yeah. from you again. Well, how convenient for you to say that because those are the rules that you guys agreed to as an owner and as players you all agreed to this. And and it's funny that all these people were offended that Pippen was criminally underpaid, but you look at a 2020 world and you look, you look you go down to the south side of the city where the White Sox play where Jerry Reinsdorf owns that team. Mm-hmm. And why do White Sox fans always clamor about? Why do the White Sox fans always fawn Jerry Reinsdorf and Rick Hahn about? Oh, man, we just signed this young player for a cheap-ass contract. Man, this, these guys are the best at what they do. You know, it, it's kind of – these are the same people getting mad that Pippen wasn't getting paid market value. Come on, you guys. But, so it, when, but when Jordan left for those two years, Pippen took him to the championship. Yeah. When they lost, I mean, mm-hmm. Olajuwon was, you know, Olajuwon, but – it's not the like, Eastern Conference Finals, I think it was. Uh, they lost to the Knicks. Yeah, the Magic. Yeah, they lost to the Knicks. We got them one year to the Magic at the other year. Yeah, I believe. Right. Um, but clearly, the second best player in the league paid like 133rd. <laughs> if if they if you gotten market value, there's no way they can even do a second repeat. Well, I mean, the one good thing about it was back in those days, I mean, I think it still holds true to this day. There's still that Larry Bird exemption where you can still sign your own players for a very long time, uh, uh, regardless of the salary cap. But, yeah, you still got to sign other players to be on your team, right? You still got to sign Dennis Rodman. You still got to make sure there's plenty of role players on that team, you know? So it it is – it's both a blessing and a curse to know that this second run on the championships – was ignited by underpaying one of the best players on 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 the planet uh, in Scottie Pippen. So, because uh, Jordan would have wanted his money, just he, he, this guy probably made more money doing endorsement commercials than he did being like uh, getting paid by the Bulls. Mm-hmm. But you know, Jordan's ego would not have allowed to get paid anything less than thirty million or not be the top earner in NBA. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, Johnny points out that he had to have people in the house had to take care for, uh, and that's the reason he took the money, which I understand. So you know, you're stuck between a rock and a hard place. You got so many people to take care of. Yeah. You're more likely just 
sign the first deal that you, that come to your uh, that you're offered. So, and that's and that's all players. Unfortunately, we I mean like I said, we seem broke. We've seen people on broke just. We've seen Bernie Kosar have a nervous breakdown doing interviews on broke just because mm-hmm. he had so many people to take care of. Saw so Bart Scott bragging. I mean, your guy Bart Scott over there, Jacob, bragging about how he had like twenty. <laughs> he had twenty families to take care of at one point. Mm-hmm. It's the reality, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you need that money, but you also you got to take care of yourself, unfortunately. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's a, it sucks. It's a double-edged sword because I mean, that guy had a, a big family, but. A lot of these athletes have big families. That's for um, sure. So, yeah, it's up to your, you, your, the, you as a player, the agent. And when the owner tells you not to sign the contract, you know you're <laughs> getting screwed. Exactly. <laughs> this, isn't a, this isn't a revelation that Jerry Reinsdorf just revealed for the document. He's been saying this for decades now. We, well, we told Scotty not to sign that deal. I don't know what the hell he was thinking, but you know, we understand that he needed the money. So, well, okay, well, I'm sorry, but them's the breaks. That's how life is. Oh, the brakes. <laughs> wreck it up, wreck it up, wreck it up, break down. <laughs> you got to put that on the agent, too, because you're just like, what? Dude, come on. <laughs> like, what? Uh, apparently, the agent told him not to sign the contract either, so he's not listening to anybody at this point. Uh, I'm, oh, God. <sighs> at least he got his money later in his career. Yeah. <laughs> yeah he, oh, yeah. He got paid. Don't <laughs> worry. He got taken care of eventually. That's for damn sure. And I don't care what you say, you didn't know it. Space Jam, that, that um, what's the, the coach's name for the Monstars? Oh. Danny, De- Danny DeVito? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know damn well you didn't know that was supposed to be Jerry Krause. I'll give you that one. Uh, uh, but but, really? but that, 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 was, uh, that wasn't mentioned in the documentary, though. Uh, no. Not in the first two parts. That, was, that came up in a meme later on. And like, huh, I guess it kind of does look like Jerry Cross. <laughs> uh, so, knowing all you know about Jordan, this documentary, is he still, to you, the greatest player of all time? All right, he's my GOAT. He's my GOAT. I mean, like, like I've been saying throughout the comments all this week, I mean, because I know Henry went after me in the private chats and because we're all admins in, that, in the Ballist Life uh, basketball group part of the life group networks, but uh, l- yeah, I just, <laughs> I know too much about him that I cannot differentiate, just like, like Sammy Sosa, I'm still pissed at him, and he was my favorite player growing up, but he, as far as I'm concerned, he walked away from that team back in 2004, 2005, mm-hmm. he walked away from that team, so like, I, it's like I tell you, you walked away from my team, I walk away from you, just like I walk away from Derrick Rose. There's another guy I really don't like. When again, Derek Rose couldn't walk. <laughs> he, he hopped. No, but he can, he can go to Los Angeles and, and have himself a sex party, right? Family guy that he is. No, no, let's say, let's, say, let's call the truth for what it is. Alleged. <laughs> no, no, that, it did happen. That, that, remember, this was a civil lawsuit that, that this woman lost out on. That really happened. Three guys got together and teamed up and, and got to this girl. And this girl, yeah, the, he wasn't lying up. I mean, fine. If he would have gone into into that into that uh, court, right, for for the uh, alleged rape, and said, "Well, I didn't rape her." Mm-hmm. No, he admitted that he had sexual. That this was all like, what was that word? That this was all consensual. consensual? Oh, I'm sorry. No, hold on. Derek didn't even know what the word consensual meant. <laughs> I don't know it's that Chicago school system, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. 
You know, it. It, it also brings me to my next point. Common, um, he had a little spot in the interview where apparently he had to sign Michael Jordan's uh, name for an autograph, and he spelled Michael wrong. <laughs> so not only does he not know math, he can't spell. And I love him as a rapper. But you Ow, Chicago bro. guys, man, your education system, trash. <laughs> oh my Stay out the parks, get in the books. <laughs> Uh, uh, I wouldn't know. I went to I went to Catholic school, so I wouldn't know. Yeah, there you go. It, well, uh, hey. mm. You guys are killing me. Mm. <laughs> that's funny. <laughs> I love you guys. That, that's that's funny. that's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, oh, I'm, I'm uh, but you know, you've been uh, so the team construction of of. Pippen and Jordan, you look at the, the greats, you know, I don't know how you consider Jordan a GOAT. I mean, I have LeBron. I'm going to spend the, these next 10 episodes trying to convince you that <laughs> LeBron is greater than Jordan. <laughs> it's going to be good. Yeah, well, I, I mean, obviously, I have bias as to why I think Jordan's the GOAT, but you know, it's funny. It's interesting you mentioned that, that, that because back in the 90s, uh, I mean, it seems like nowadays it's universal. If you say anybody else but Michael Jordan, uh, you, you're called, I mean, you get called out, right? You, you right. get chastised by a bunch of people. And, and then it just becomes a war between the, what they call the LeBron sexuals. And <laughs> I, I, well, I honestly don't know what they call the Jordan fans. But here in Chicago, Dan Bernstein coined the term the uh, the Jordan ass-licking society, because these are just mindless people who just drone about Michael Jordan. And this is locally. So, yeah, this, so there's like two, there's two types of Michael Jordan fans. There's the type like me who, who we, we, we uh, acknowledge his greatness, but we, we know a little bit too much about him that kind of tarnishes his reputation. Mm -hmm. And then there's the ass-lickers who he can't do no wrong, mm -hmm. right? He quit on the Bulls twice. That's okay. He needed that break. He went to the Wizards. That's okay. He wanted to play again and prove that he could still play on bad knees. You know, like he can't do no wrong. Uh, he uh, he never uh, donates to charity. That's okay. He's a billionaire now. It's you know, but uh, but back in my day, oh, Jesus Christ, I, I think I've used that term way too much in this podcast already. I'm not 50 years old. I'm only 30 something. But uh, the argument wasn't you know. Anytime anybody from Chicago would talk about Michael Jordan being the GOAT, you had outsiders from the city talk about, uh, excuse me, you ever see this guy named uh, Lou Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar play? You ever seen Will Chamberlain? Do you know Bill Russell has 10 championships under his name? So, yeah, it, it, it wasn't always an open and clear-cut case. And it wasn't until LeBron James came up, and not really even LeBron James, but really Kobe Bryant, mm -hmm. uh, started copying him, that people started seeing, oh, yeah, Jordan's, I mean, this guy's already influencing the next generation of basketball players. Therefore, Michael Jordan is the best. And suddenly, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is no longer in that argument for some reason. But which I think is crazy. The, I'm sorry, what? No, which I think is crazy. You never hear it. I'm going, really? I'm telling you, man. Back in my day, that, that was it. I mean, anybody mentioned Jordan, you get people talking about all these big men from the past, like Chamberlain and, and Abdul-Jabbar. Like, no, nah, mm -hmm. those are the real goats, and Jordan is just a new kid or whatever. Kid, he was in his 30s, too. But, uh, yeah, Jordan's, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah, and, and like I said, now it's 
LeBron versus Michael. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's never ending, it seems like. No. But which, for the record, I always thought that was the wrong comparison. I always yeah. thought it should have been Jordan and Kobe, which is much closer. But uh, apparently, uh, I thought their games were similar. But if you're going to go, I thought LeBron was closer to Magic. Yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. But for argument's uh, sake, I'll go the LeBron-Jordan uh, uh, route, <laughs> which I have LeBron. I have Kobe, and I have Jordan. Get out of here. You're crazy. No. You're going to get the knockoff? You're going to pick the knockoff over the real thing? Come on, man. I will, I will tell you why. Uh-huh. It all has to do with the second fiddle. Well, so, he was, Kobe was a second fiddle. Shaq was a primary guy. It, the, first, the first three championships, it was Shaq and then Kobe. That was the hierarchy that Phil Jackson wanted. Because Phil mm-hmm. Jackson's all about hierarchy. Right. So he won with Shaq and he won with Powell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And in between those times, there was plenty of, of times where he bitched and, 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 and complained that he needed better teammates and that he needed, oh, that he needed and to and be traded. I'm just saying. I mean, all the things that, that Kobe gets credit for, let's, let's not forget that Man, Kobe he has miserably on his own. And, and I only bring up the fact that he was on his own because that's what he wanted. He wanted to prove that – And actually, I'm glad you brought that up because that brings up one of the things I hate about the Jordan mythology is mm-hmm. that because of Jordan, there's this idea now that if you don't do it on your own, you're a failure. These championships don't count if you don't do it on your own. But we just spent the first half of this of this podcast talking about, well, Jordan had a lot of good health. He had great teammates, had a great front office, had the greatest coach of all time, arguably. It's this, uh, but it's this idea now that you have to do it the way Jordan did it. Well, okay, if that's the case, then remove Pippen from Jordan, remove all those other role players that made Jordan look good, mm-hmm. and put Orlando Warridge back there, and let's let's. <laughs> Let's just have them play. Let's just do that for the rest of the time uh, that Jordan's alive. Let's just have him play with those two and see how many championships he wins. You could do that, but, you know, I won't. I mean, it's stupid because we know better. We know better that, yeah, it took a lot of good things to happen. And, and these guys had to hit. As much credit, I like to get Jerry Krause. These guys just had to hit. The mm-hmm. Horace Grants, the Scotty Pippins, all these guys, the John Paxons, they all had to hit. Because if they didn't, then we're back to square one. And maybe Phil Jackson isn't the, the coach that everybody loves at this point, that, that, that people uh, mm. uh, respect. And I, I meant the coach, not the general manager, Jacob. You I know kiss you my have ass. Kiss my ass. <laughs> hey, listen, I thought that was a bad deal for the Knicks. That was a stupid idea for them to bring in some old geezer who, who really doesn't care. At that point, really didn't give two shits about the game anymore. No, hell no. He had so, his... He had his farm up in what the hell, Wyoming, whatever the hell it was, Wyoming. He had his, he, he was good. He, he had his money. He was all set. All you had to do, fuck it. Fuck y'all. Run the triangle. If you don't do it, fuck it. I don't care. You're we'll out. find somebody else who can run the triangle, right? Exactly. He ran KP right out of the fucking town. Thanks, girl. Appreciate it. Salute to you, bastard. And, right, and what, oh, and what Jordan people, ran Doug Collins out of town. From what I remember, Jordan loved Doug Collins. Although I wouldn't be surprised if if Jordan maybe had something to do with getting Doug Collins run out of town. But Mm -hmm. Doug Collins' M.O. was 
and it was it would be true in, in, with the Pistons, and it'd be true with the Wizards. And the reason that's why I don't agree with the notion that Jordan ran the cons out of town, because who did Jordan play with the Wizards? Yeah, a whole bunch of young kids like Rip Hamilton. Who was his coach? Who was his coach? Jordan was the coach. We all know that. Okay, well, you know, he didn't run him out of town then. So, but the thing with Doug Collins, mm-hmm. the guy's so intense. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't know any other way but to be in intense all the time, which is great when the team is just starting out. When it's a young team, mm-hmm. like, 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 he'd be great with the Brooklyn Nets, like this incarnation of the Brooklyn Nets right now, because it's a bunch of young guys, right? Mm-hmm. It's when those guys get old and they become yep. veterans and they, 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 they demand a little bit more respect. Mm-hmm. They get into that third or fourth season. They finally get that big deal uh, in the, under their belt. Suddenly, Doug Collins' words run hollow. Like, he's just a screaming madman. And he flames himself out. Like I said, happened. He's a very emotional guy, but that stuff, it, 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 um, it wears on him really quickly. And mm-hmm. it, it happened in Chicago. It happened with the Pistons. And, well, with the Wizards. We don't know what happened with the Wizards. But, yeah, that's just who Doug Collins is. <laughs> it's kind of like Tibbs. It's kind of just like Tibbs when you think about it. He's that same intense uh, guy. He just he's not, not the same intensity. Yeah, Tibbs is. I, I, I'm gonna say that Tibbs is a little bit more robotic. Like he, like, mm-hmm. he's Bill Belichick, but with, uh, with more. Um, what's that word I'm looking for? He has no people. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He, mm-hmm. I yeah. don't know how the hell y'all dealt with that. So like, he's a good. He was a good coach, but I'm surprised like nobody like when it gets to earlier. Like they all went with it. They let him run his, you know, his offense, his defense, and then what was it? Four or five years, you really start hearing the complaints. Like, all right, now this is getting crazy. Yeah, I mean, to to go back to the Bulls, I mean, think about that Bulls team that he took over. A bunch of mm-hmm. young guys, uh, mm-hmm. Joakim Noah. Yep. Uh, I mean, I mean, shoot, to Joakim Noah, I mean, he still had good two good knees. Joakim Noah, you didn't hear about Joakim. Oh, I'm serious. You didn't hear about Joakim Noah uh, complaining true. about too many practices when his knees started going bad. Then mm-hmm. that's when he, then that's when you started hearing about the mutinies that he would uh, orchestrate. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, Derrick Rose. I mean, we all know what happened to Derrick Rose because Thibodeau overused them. So, yeah, it, it, it's the same thing. So in that regard, it is the same thing. Uh, the, the different ways to get there. Thibodeau's mm-hmm. a little bit more uh, like stoic and very uh, goal oriented. Doug Collins just. Just oh, just wants to be so emotional. Wants to gravitate towards these guys. Just wants to do everything, mm. and, and it, it wears down on people. And, and most, imp- and, you know, most importantly, it wears down on him uh, to true. the max. It's true. Johnny's trying to throw a uh, monkey wrench into my uh, goat conversation. Trying to get in. So he, he <laughs> says that uh, we played three years of college ball. Missed 87, didn't play the 87 season because of a broken foot, which we saw. And he did it what LeBron and Kobe did in six less seasons. Mm-hmm. But how much do you make of a competition that Jordan played against? I mean, first and foremost, I mean, this was, I mean, if you're counting the stuff from the 80s, as much as the Pistons of that time get a lot of credit for kind of, uh, being the face of what 80s basketball was, mm-hmm. let's really give credit where credit is due. And that was the run and gun Lakers, the Showtime yep. Lakers. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, it was, if you look at the numbers, it was such a fast paced era at that time where defense couldn't catch up with the offenses. Mm-hmm. Uh, Larry, I mean, look at the Celtics. Yeah, they played tough defense, but they were also racking up points uh, 
uh, as well. Um, look at the Denver Nuggets. They would rack up points. And all these teams would just rack up 120, 130 points. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's going to – and then you look at Kobe and, and LeBron coming when they came in, the early 2000s, the ISO ball era. And, uh, Leon, we just were talking about the 2003 Spurs versus Nets series. After one quarter, it was 21-19. Oh, the Spurs played at a much slower pace. But everybody, but everybody did. No, everybody the, did. The Nets at that time did. No, they ran. They were the Nets ran. Kid, ran. Kid and Martin and Jefferson, they were trying to run the floor, but they couldn't do it with Robinson and Duncan. They, they mm-hmm. couldn't no, they slowed no, the game no. down too much. When I say that everybody was slow, I meant that when you compare it to the, like, to the 80s and, the, and like this oh, era yeah. of basketball, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the Nets might have been the fastest-paced team, but them being the fastest-paced team in the current, like the way we know – and they mm-hmm. probably be dead last now, just just on the numbers alone. If you just take the raw numbers by themselves, that's what it is. Because I mean, nobody nobody ran that type of basketball. And then it wasn't until Mike D'Antoni came in for the Suns, then seven 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 seconds or less. I mean, come on, I mean, it's it, it's a whole brand of basketball. But and so yeah, during that time, Lakers. I mean, I mean, who, who's running that? Who's running? Who's the coach of the Lakers at that time? Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if there's a guy who just wants to slow everything down, make sure make sure everybody touches the ball and <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. But, but now it's more analytic based. You know where you can get your shots on the floor. Now it's more hot spots. They're mm-hmm. trying to utilize the corner more because it's the easiest three. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's all about threes. You know, yeah. if you manage ISO ball, get the defense to move. I'm. And they say, you know, Jordan would have scored probably more now than he would have did then. Um, probably, maybe. We'll never know. I mean, I right. can see him average 30 points, but so do the great players right now average close to 30 points. I mean, we see James Harden. Basically, Michael Jordan is James Harden. Like, when I see James Harden, I, I, I definitely see Michael Jordan. Uh, not not, not at that know. level. I don't want to – just in, a, in, a, in what Michael Jordan would be playing, like the style uh, that, of play that he would be – playing in this modern era i mean if jordan i mean knowing jordan he sees all these like perimeter players like giannis i can't say that name fast enough like giannis <laughs> you know if jordan sees giannis uh just controlling the ball like 90 percent of the time in milwaukee he's like well i could do that too why can't i do that <laughs> give me the rock i, I, I I'll, I'll do that for you everybody yeah so <laughs> that's who i imagine like so basically Whatever Giannis is doing, Jordan would be doing the same thing. Uh, I don't, I don't know about that. You're it's not tough. impressed with Giannis's numbers? Get out of here. I, I, I think he's, he, he's good. I think that... Yeah. It, it, All right, then he's Kevin Durant. Simmons. Oh, hell no, he ain't. Kevin Durant fucking shoot. <laughs> yeah, Durant Durant's a freak, freak of nature. If well, so Jordan. Yeah, he can shoot though. Like he can, he can get you to mid range and stuff like that. He got to the rim. Giannis is kind of like a, he's a one trick pony when you really look at yeah, it. Yeah, Giannis and Jordan are a bad comparison. I'm just talking about the the, the scheme. Like okay, the, okay. Where, where Giannis is the primary ball handler. Remember in Chicago, mm-hmm. it was Scottie Pippen was the primary ball handler. Mm-hmm. And the, well, and, Pippen and, can and, shoot. Yeah, Pippen can shoot, but I mean, just think about how crazy this team was built 
where mm-hmm. point guards were not really point guards. They were like nope. spot-up shooters. That is true. And Pippen was the one who was bringing the ball up the court, you know, and, and running the offense, uh, so to speak. And then, uh, uh, you know, because Scotty Pippen was basically doing the Anthony Mason thing with, with the way the Knicks were using Anthony Mason as a point forward. Yeah, so it, it's such a crazy era. But, yeah, if, if Jordan sees, like, these perimeter players just being the primary ball handlers for the respective teams, oh, yeah, Jordan would have – I mean, he did that for a while in the 80s where he, for whatever reason – he had to become the point guard for for a few for a stretch there in the eighties, yeah. and he posted up crazy ass numbers. He, I mean, so teams, whatever. Teams, yeah, I, I get it. So just think of like the crazy, like the primary ball handlers of every team right now in this current era, and that's basically what Jordan would have been doing right now. You mentioned roster construction. This yes. next couple episodes, we're going to feature a worm. Dennis Rodman, mm-hmm. a lot of people compare him to Draymond Green, which I think is an absolute travesty. You know, Rodman was a specialist. There, there, there's no way that they win these championships without, without Rodman. Although Green does have better scoring ability, not by much, not by much better shooting ability, but <laughs> with the roster construction, Green and the shooters of Curry and Thompson, they complement each other well. Mm-hmm. Jordan and Pippen, they could get their shots up. Rodman's going to get them. How important is Rodman to the team? I mean, he basically replaced uh, Horace Grant. Remember, uh, and Johnny, I know he's, he should be listening, but yeah, remember, we, we lost Horace Grant to the Magic. And that ended up proving the big difference uh, that second year without Jordan where it was just Scottie Pippen by himself and he was getting frustrated and uh, he, he was doing so much. And, and, and you saw that even as good as Pippen was, again, teammates matter. You mm-hmm. take away Jordan and you take away Horace Grant. Let's face it, the reason that we got even close to defeating the Knicks in the 94 playoffs, the year that he won the MVP at the All-Star game, was because Horace was still on the team. Now it's just Pippen and everybody else. It, it just the fact that they got a, what was it a fourth or fifth seed when Jordan came back from retirement it, mm-hmm. it's a miracle in itself because that you look back that team was lucky and fortunate to still make the playoffs um, but yeah once and then Dennis Rodman came in and at least there's a guy who is there to do the dirty work that Horace Grant was doing all the rebounding that was so important mm-hmm. and this guy brought in a whole level of intangibles which are kind of similar to Draymond Green Kind of yes. similar. Kind of. Yeah, it's, it's pretty comparable. Okay. It, it's, it's comparable only because of, it, of the players around him. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, let's say, I mean, Draymond Green uh, kicks people in the nutsack, so does Rodman. So it, it, it's all evened out, you know? Yes. I love Rodman, though. You, you, the weird, like, he's one of my favorite players of all time because it was just positioning with him. He wasn't the biggest guy, but he knew how to get positioned on the court. That's why you always saw him put, what, 15, 20 rebounds in a game, like especially big games. He knew how to get to the ball. I mean, yeah, he was a weirdo. We know this. But it was just he was great at what he did. I mean, we can't. Yeah. Man. <laughs> I mean, I, I explained this in the, in, the first op, in the first pockets with you guys how much mm-hmm. I think I did. But I absolutely love Rodman. I mean, mm-hmm. I, me, I'm I'm a horrible shooter. I think we talked about the playground, our our, our mm-hmm. lack of playground game on my part. But the one thing, 
when Dennis Rodman came to town or when I realized that there was a guy named Dennis Rodman and he did everything but score, I mean, it gave me hope that I can hold my own on the court and do these other little things that he would do. And unfortunately, that would piss people off, which I didn't understand why people were bullying me all the time. But <laughs> I, I'll tell you what, no one could out-rebound me, even though I was mm-hmm. not the tallest guy, but I could jump higher than everybody else when that ball was in the air. And I, mm-hmm. I, I love setting picks for my teammates. And um, yeah, I mean, Dennis Rodman always has a special heart, a special place in my heart. You know who else has set some pretty good picks? Kevin Love. Yeah, buddy. Chris Bosh. Those are pretty good teammates. Well, yeah, Chris Bosh. He, he loves the picks. Mm. <laughs> Is that the LeBron James comparison again, or what are we doing? <laughs> of course, man. We're talking about the real GOAT here. Kyrie Irving. He, he had his LeBron temperamental guy. LeBron, when he's done, LeBron I mean, would be good for all time. I would have got there this season with Anthony Davis. So, you know, we'll never know. <laughs> no, we'll never know. But um, no, to get back to uh, the way these teams were built, I mean, you just we mentioned Pippen, we mentioned Rodman, who's going to get his own episode apparently, and I'm looking forward to that one because Rodman had a hell of a life of his own. He did uh, a very interesting life. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we already saw a little bit of it with the with NBA TV. They did a thing on the was it them or was it ESP? I forgot. But there was a documentary on the Bad Boy Pistons. And we great. already got a – what's that? That was great. Watch it if you haven't saw it. If you haven't seen yeah. it, too. And they touched a little bit on Dennis Rodman, and his story is pretty interesting. Um, people just remember the flamboyance of him, like the wedding dress and the crazy hair color, his time at WCW, right. uh, doing the wrestling thing with uh, against Karl Malone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, you take away all that stuff, and you just have a one of the greatest basketball players that ever lived, and paired him up with Jordan and Pippen. I mean, come on. It's not even fair. It's not even fair. It, I I mean, and I, we haven't even started talking about Ron Harper or, or, or Steve Kerr or all those other guys mm-hmm. or Judd Bushler who would come off the bench. It, it was a very special team, man. It was a very – that's what people – that's what I hate about this Jordan versus LeBron thing is that even Bulls fans have kind of forgotten – how awesome and amazing this team was. And that 72-win season, we, we, we got Bison Dele, uh, formerly known as Brian Williams, to be on the team. Nobody had a chance. Nobody. You're going to bring us this uh, quasi-all-star center onto the team this late in the season? Everybody's screwed. There's no way you guys are going to win. Yeah, I, I was a huge fan of Tony Kukoc. I, I never thought he got his due. Yeah. Um. He always seemed to be the odd man out. But um, who, who was it that sat out the, the final play? Was it Pippen? It was Pippen against the Knicks in that final 1.8 right. seconds. And uh, Phil Jackson drew the play. All right, Tony, you're going to get the play right here. And Pippen's like, why, why is he getting the – why am I getting not, not getting the play here? Mm-hmm. Well, Tony has a better chance of scoring because he's going to go from to his left and he's left-handed. Well, fuck you, coach. And the rest <laughs> is history. Kukoc hit that game-winning shot, and uh, Pippen looked like a like a yeah. selfish, pouting prima donna. And you know, it's all temporary because now we all feel sorry for Pippen, even though he pretty much shoots himself in the foot more often than not. But I don't really feel sorry for that fucking team. I was happy as hell when he fucking broke up. This guy. Biggest moment of my life. I was like, thank God, I'm gonna see this shit anymore. <laughs> But to talk more about Tony, because like you said, Tony gets kind of forgotten. 6'10", 
small forward. Mm-hmm. Stretch the floor, stretch, stretch the, stretches the court for, for everybody else. And uh, he's taller than a lot of small forwards. Uh, I mean, people like to give Dirk Nowitzki a lot of credit for kind of revolutionizing that position, being a seven-footer and mm-hmm. being that stretch center. I know Kukoc is not a center. He's he's barely even a power forward because he was kind of soft. <laughs> but okay, it was very soft. Right. But a a six ten small forward with the handles that he had and the quickness that he had. Well, quickness is, is a stretch, but considering how tall he was, yeah, he was pretty quick for his size. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, any listen, any other team, this guy would have been a starting player. On this team, he has to take a he has to take a seat. Mm-hmm. You know he has to come in as a primary scorer off the bench, and uh, just speed off of the other guys uh, of the uh, second units of other teams. Again, what a luxury to have! You have this secret weapon on the bench, just waiting to get back in the in the game at any moment's notice, and put up 15, 16, 17 points, and get everybody involved and stretch the floor. And <sighs> you think he's a Hall of Fame? Um, well, you know the, the the Pro Basketball Hall of Fame is a little bit more lenient. Because they also include the stuff that you did outside of the NBA. So what what Kukoc playing on the what was it the, the Yugoslavian team? And I think mm-hmm. he played for the. If I remember correctly, he might have played for the Croatian team. Something like that, but yeah, I think he played for the Croatian team. I mean, hell think about no. it. He was one of the most important players on one of the most important teams outside of the United States. That's true. I mean, he was a catalyst. He ain't no Hall of Famer though. Ah, hell no. Man, you, he, he's, I'll give him his due. He if might be close. to no reason, you got to give him uh, oh, the yeah. same thing. Uh, there's, there's no Ginobili without Tony Kukoc setting that. I, 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 I give him that much credit. I don't, I don't know, man. That's tough. I got to go back and I gotta look at numbers, man. Uh, but again, it's the it. Pro Basketball Hall of Fame. They're a little bit more lenient. And yeah, they're they going to see. Definitely, definitely. They're going to see his international uh, stuff that he did, and he, mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure he posted some, some big-ass numbers up in Europe as well. You, I mean, I mean shit, they, they brought in – they put in Oscar Schmidt from Brazil into the Hall of Fame True. basically because of his international play in, mm-hmm. in the, like, Olympics and, and uh, international uh, – for the select the Brazilian yeah. play. Right. Shit, I think Christian Leitner made it too. I like if if Vlade Divac is in, Tony Kukos is in. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, wait, Vladdy's in really seriously? I, I think he is. Yeah, yeah, I think he, yeah, he just made it. Remember, uh, in our basketball league, uh, Jacob, are you in our, in our fantasy basketball league? Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, one of the divisions is called the Vladdy Divax division because he just made the Hall of Fame. I only put Hall no, of Fame. Right well, yeah, I guess Tony. Shit, Tony got to go in there. Yeah. I, I, honestly, if Vladdy made it, shit. I did it. Man. I've convinced right. one. Yeah, I think I convinced too. Now I'm gonna get my LeBron convinced going. I'm not. I'm not giving that up though. Jordan's a goat, obviously. Until I'll say until LeBron finishes his career, because you know he, you can't look at the ring. Yes, he went six and zero, but what LeBron is doing, he's on some whole other shit. He's he's 33 years old. He's still MVP candidate. Still almost with his triple doubles. I mean, yeah. When he's done, yeah. Uh, from, did, 18, did, from 18 to now, man. It, yeah. Does the next episode also uh, feature the, the fourth one, uh, Phil Jackson? I think so. What, what, I, I sent you the picture of uh, the description. What, the, I forgot what it said, but maybe it's Phil Jackson. And boy, I got some things to say about Phil Jackson. 
but <laughs> unless you have a question that you want to share with us, it's up to you, Leon. Uh, what you got? I mean, first and foremost, when after spoiler alert, guys, uh, in case you don't know, we did win that sixth championship. Thank you very much. As uh, it was uh, put in the books beforehand, you know, it was it was destined to be. But Phil Jackson, uh, well, first and foremost, that sixth championship, and that remember I was I started this uh, podcast episode talking about um, the championship rallies that we were just we assumed that were going to happen there all summer long, mm-hmm. every single year. We just expected it. That last one, it didn't feel like a championship rally. It felt more like a funeral. <laughs> I'm serious. Everybody goes up there, does a little speech, and we weren't hearing the usual, eh, we're going to come back and we're going to do this again next year. No, we weren't hearing that. We were hearing, and uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, so if this is it, then what a hell of a ride. It was getting a lot of those speeches. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until Phil Jackson came up, because we were so, well, okay, they're just talking about that because – they, they don't want to get their high their hopes up, but we, there's still a, a 50-50 chance that the whole team's coming back. Phil Jackson goes up there and talks about it, and the word last dance, that was the first time I heard it uh, personally from anybody that this was the last dance. When Phil Jackson goes up to the championship podium to address the crowd at Grand Park, and he starts talking about, guys, this was the last dance, and I got to say, it's been a hell of a waltz. Thanks, Chicago. Good night. <laughs> this guy like this mofo is this <laughs> what no 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 because we I mean, think about it we've heard it throughout the 90s the Klaus mm. and Jackson aren't getting along uh, Jackson's not coming back Jordan's not coming back Pippen's not coming back I mean you, you hear the boy cry wolf so many times you start to deny it like oh that's they say this every summer and by the time the training camp comes around they're going to get along they're going to kiss and make up they're going to sign the guys that need to sign to help this team. When Phil Jackson made that little speech of his, that's when I knew it was over. And like, oh shit, I think it, I think they mean it this time. You know, I think they're being real about it this time around. And sure enough, in comes Tim Floyd and Jordan cuts his finger on a cigar cutter, which ultimately ends his season. Pippen goes to the Rockets and gets that gargantuan deal. Judd Bushler gets a big deal. Steve Kerr gets a big deal. Luke Longley gets a big deal. I don't know what happened to Dennis. He probably went to North Korea, but eventually he came back with the Lakers. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Lakers. I honestly don't remember what, what happened afterwards, to be honest. So, But everybody got paid. You know, I think even Randy Brown got a two-year deal somewhere from some other, from some other team. I think and the Spurs. That sounds right. That sounds about right. So, yeah. Um, but uh, I think Phil Jackson, I mean, for as much shit that Jerry Krause gets, I think Phil Jackson gets a, a, away with a lot of stuff. Because listening to Will Perdue talk uh, this past week, I don't know if you guys had a chance to listen to that, to that interview with Will Perdue with the, on the Dan Bernstein show here in Chicago. I share that link on the Ballist Life uh, group. But Perdue just was talking about how manipulative Phil Jackson was. All the good ones are, right? But this, <laughs> but this guy, I honestly think that if anything, he probably – let me see if I can kind of articulate myself here. Because it seems like for this, with this documentary, right, it seems like him – remember the documentary starts off with him saying every season there's a theme. This theme was the last dance. Like this guy was able to use this strained relationship that he had with Jerry Krause and not only have the players, you know, have this us-against-them mentality, 
But in his, you know, in his little theme that he uses, he was able to use that as a motivational cry for the rest of the season to let everybody know, hey, guys, give it all you got because this is the last time we're going to be together. The management doesn't want us anymore. This guy is the master manipulator. You know, Steve Rosenblum of the Chicago Tribune used to call him Chief Try Any Angle. Not Chief Triangle, Chief Try Any Angle because that's what he was. Anything to get under your skin, anything to get you moving, anything to get you motivated. Remember, something that Will Purdue brought up that I don't think was brought up on the, uh, on the documentary just quite yet, but if you wanted to get Scottie Pippen or uh, Michael Jordan's attention, you just yell at Tony Kukoc <laughs> or Luke Longley. I think we, I didn't, that one I did not know. I didn't know that he was yelling at Luke Longley as well, but Jackson would yell at Tony, Tony, what the fuck are you doing, Tony? Uh, Will Purdue also let it be known that he would yell at Horace Grant to get to Scotty because Scotty was so sensitive. Like, if he were to, to start yelling at Scotty Pippen, Scotty would start pouting. Oh, Scotty Pippen pouting? Get the fuck out of here. No way. 1.8 <laughs> seconds and pouting? No way. That's not the Scotty Pippen people know or remember, but Scotty Pippen was sensitive. So, you know, but you know who had tough skin? Horace Grant. And <laughs> Horace Grant, he just used to rail on him every single chance that he got. But to Grant's credit, he used that to motivate himself. Like little stupid petty stuff like that. Uh, like, for example, Horace Grant would get 10 rebounds. And Phil Jackson, that's all you got, 10 rebounds? You know, the other guys on the other teams are getting like 12, 13, 14 rebounds. And then Horace Grant would get 18. And then Phil Jackson, okay, but can you, get to, can you even get to 20, bro? I mean, 18 is easy when, when you know, when, when you're the primary rebounder, but you should be getting 20. And Horace, instead of like pouting about it, the, the mean old coach doesn't like me. He never is going to like me or appreciate me. He just used that to kind of flame himself up and fire himself up. I'll show that dumb motherfucker that I can get to 25 rebounds if I, if I really want to. So Phil was excellent. This is why I think he's the greatest coach of all time. Because if this is what he was doing with his Bulls team, imagine what he did with the Lakers. Because I, I know he gets a lot of flack for picking and choosing a spot. But when, when you get to that point of your career, kind you know, of deserve it. Yeah. you yeah, deserve yeah. it. But, yeah. but just like he was a master manipulator for the team, Something that Will Purdue also mentioned was he was also manipulating the hell out of the media. Mm -hmm. so, he was real good at that. So Phil Jackson isn't stupid. No. Phil Jackson probably saw how this team was built and how old everybody was and whose contract was up after this season and what the likelihood that everybody would get signed or not get signed. And Phil Jackson probably looked around and says, well, I got to get the fuck out of here. You know, <laughs> to use a wrestling term, I got I to gotta keep my heat, dude. I got to put myself over. I am not coming back to this 99 team and coaching a bunch of scrubs. I'm not starting this over. I'm too mm -hmm. old for this. So he probably just – I'm convinced now after hearing that interview with Will Purdue and seeing the documentary that he didn't purposely just start fanning the flames between him and Jerry Krause uh, to exponentially to the nth degree to take it to that other level. Because there was already friction, but I'm pretty sure he made sure to take it to that next level, make sure that he burned all the bridges so there would be no question that he was not coming back because Jerry and put it all on Jerry Krause. And you guys are probably looking at me and say, well, the mental gymnastics Felipe is doing. But again, this is the master manipulator. And he parlayed that last dance season to be the future head coach of the, of the Los Angeles Lakers and get, what, five more championships out of that. Yeah, I mean, he might have been a mass manipulator, but I'll tell you one battle he didn't win. The goddamn Knicks. Well, that and uh, 
Carmelo Anthony got him for a few million. You damn right. Let him go now. <laughs> oh my God! Yes. So he might have yes. been a mass manipulator as a coach, but uh, GM. He's like, nah, bro. <laughs> no, we got to remember this about Phil, man. Like, like Jacob mentioned earlier, he was done. Like, the, the, remember the Lakers when when they brought in um, who else did they bring in when they brought in Steve Nash and uh, mm-hmm. Carmelo. No, 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 no. Dwight. Dwight Howard, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. They fired two coaches or, or, or something like that, right? But yeah. they were trying to get Phil back. And mm-hmm. Phil Jackson was like, all right, well, I want to stay here in Wyoming or Idaho or the bumblefuck Illinois. <laughs> I want to make sure that I, – I, listen, I got bad knees, bad back, bad shoulders. Bad, he's bad everything. Mm-hmm. And I want to make sure that I'm only coaching home games. And I need a private jet that will fly me from Wyoming to Los Angeles. And that will, like, all these demands mm-hmm. to coach this Lakers team. And finally, the Lakers brass was like, you know, this guy's asking for too much. He obviously, the fact that he's making all these, like, demands just shows that he's, he doesn't want to be a coach anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, how are you, you going to be a part-time coach and still demand full-time money? Well, him and Jenny Buss was kind of, you know. Yeah. Anyway. And <laughs> as you could tell, limitations mm-hmm. were reached where even Jeannie Buss could not mm-hmm. uh, feed all those demands and uh, mm-hmm. call it that Phil Jackson was getting too old and wasn't motivated or call it him manipulating the media or mm-hmm. manipulating the, 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 the narrative by him saying, well, I interviewed and they went in a different direction. I don't know. Now he looks like the guy who got shafted, but we all know that he made all these demands. That you know, Oh, for sure. Oh, yeah. But, you know, so, but he kept his heat. So when the Knicks, a former team of his, came calling, yeah, now he doesn't have to travel as much. He could be, he could be the general manager and instill the triangle offense without having to coach it personally and, uh, you know, and, and, and ruin a, a, a fucked up franchise even more, even more so. Yeah. So why not? That's, yeah, at that point, they were desperate. So he, and he, yeah. They thought he was going to bring that magic back. Oh, yeah, Phil. They kept bringing it up. The 1972-73 championship big team, Phil Jackson coming back. To right. I was like, oh, Lord Jesus, help us. No, I was like, you come down the coach? <laughs> That's the first thing I said. You coming down the coach, too? No, I mean, he wasn't because he wasn't going to coach the Lakers. He's not going to coach the Knicks. And, and not only that, but this was around the time where the analytics revolution is taking place in the NBA. Exactly. And Phil Jackson is on the record saying, Analytics. Mm-hmm. Analytics. I don't think so. Coaches mm-hmm. still have to coach. Scouts have to scout. We're going to mm-hmm. install the triangle offense, even though all the analytics are saying this is the dumbest offense ever. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Nobody likes the freaking triangle offense. Nobody. No. Nah. And, and these dinosaurs ins- insist on utilizing it. I hated it. Yeah. Made and no I would sense. say the biggest beneficiaries of Phil Jackson. Derek Fisher. Mm-hmm. Kurt Rambis. Facts. Oh, man. I Both hate it, Rambis. Always stay employed as long as Phil Jackson's around. Brian <laughs> Shaw, too. Matter of fact, Derek Fisher's probably still getting paid. He is. He's still, I, think he's still, I think he still gets paid. They finally got rid of Rambis. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, my Savior. He'll, he'll be back. Nah, chill. Nah, nah, nah. Hey, another ball, Jeff Bushler. He's on the Knicks staff, by the way. I don't know. Oh, he is? Yeah, he is. He's been on for like the last two years. I don't know what the hell he does, but I always see his ugly ass mug. So, 
Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, he plays volleyball. I mean, he's a big volleyball yeah. player. That was always... Yeah, I mean, I mentioned Judd Bushler beforehand. Uh, I mean, the depth that we had on that team just... Oh, Johnny just mentioned my name. Um, <laughs> I just saw that come up. But Judd Bushler was... His main thing was yeah. stand in the corner and shoot the three when you're wide open. And he would. Yeah, John, Johnny mentioned uh, Tex Winters. He invented the triangle offense. Yeah, and wherever Tex Winter would go, uh, Phil Jackson made sure to keep him around. Listen, man, Phil Jackson... As great a coach as he was, he also made sure that he had the best assistant head coaches uh, anywhere. Tex winner on offense. Uh, I forgot who the defensive guy they mentioned. Uh, the, but top-notch coaches. He made sure that he, they were always on his staff with the Bulls and the Lakers. Um, listen, as long as LeBron's around, I'm going to give it to Mike Brown. Because Mike Brown, he's going to, you know, Hire twice, fire twice, let him to a, let him to a finals. Made Tyron Lou look good. Don't look that upon me. <laughs> I mean, I, I think I'd rather have Mark Jackson, but it is what it is. <laughs> you know, I'm I'm looking forward to these uh, next couple episodes coming up. Uh, you know, Felipe, love to get your thoughts during the week. Uh, Jacob, you got any parting words? Yeah, man. Thanks, Felipe. You know, congratulations on uh, your upcoming kid. You know, uh, love having you on. Glad you are, you know, a repeat guest. <laughs> you know, love to have those. And uh, do you have any words you'd like to say before we... Yeah, I I, I can't believe the we've been over an hour. It, that, that just kind of flew by and I feel like I have so much to say, but I'm kind of losing my voice. And I just want to thank you guys both for having me on. I mean, uh, I had so much to share and I had a lot of just to get off my chest because of it. I got triggered watching this documentary because it, it felt like it was questioning my sensibilities or whatever. Because like, like I said, I lived through it and it seems like it's going to be nothing but this Pollyanna, Michael Jordan narrative. And I feel like we didn't, I didn't get a chance to talk a lot of shit about Michael Jordan, but your you time know, will come. My time will come. I mean, I've been sharing it throughout the group, but yeah, I want to thank you both for giving me this platform to kind of just get this off my chest, talk about the Bulls. Like I said, uh, I'm going to enjoy it because there's nothing else going on, but I mean, it, as, as much as I hate the fact that it's a little bit too Pollyanna for me, I am loving the nostalgic factor that's going on here. I'm loving that we're getting to relive these glory days, like Jacob mentioned, these glory days of the Chicago Bulls. It's bringing a lot of uh, uh, memories from my youth. Uh, the teenage Felipe coming onto his own and 
every summer the Bulls were guaranteed a championship against, you know, mostly against the Knicks, but um, it was expected. Yeah, man. <laughs> you mentioned teenage Felipe. You mentioned, you know, you got no beard. You're looking clean shaven. That, you got to look at that, man. The beard finally, it was bothering me. You know, the mustache was already, I'm like, I'd be eating my food and I'd be biting into my mustache. I'm like, all right, enough's enough. It's time to, I need to clear this up a little bit. And, yeah, everybody's going around changing their hair. This guy, got this guy here, looking good. <laughs> now my hair, uh, no, it's still kind of long in the front. Uh, that's. Oh, man, you got it, something else. <laughs> Now people say, "Show me your quarantine here. Show me your quarantine beard." Like this is just, this is just whatever, man. This is every day. This is, it'd be no different if there was no quarantine on it. This would be the same Felipe beard. I, I, I go months without getting a haircut, so, or, and I go months without shaving too, so it's fine. I'm in my wheelhouse. <laughs> but thank you guys so much, man. I, I do appreciate being on, and uh, I, you know sharing this uh, moment with me on, on a Saturday night of, of all times, you know, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> Thank you again, Felipe. Thank, Thank you. you again, Jacob. Uh, you know, catch us uh, next week. We'll uh, recap the third and fourth episodes and until then, ball out.